to the Artish Plunge podcast, a podcast exploring the curious relationship between artists and the other professions, day jobs, or past vocations that have allowed them to plunge into the art they create. I'm your host, Christy Darnell Batani. My guest today is Oklahoma native Christopher Nick, who uses his classically trained painting skills to create detailed illustrations for major brands, children's books, and historical portraits. Christopher also has a sweet side job that provided both a steady income and an unexpected introduction to his newest and perhaps most authentic character. So let's head to Oklahoma where the winds come sweeping down the plain to see what Christopher is doing in the studio today. So Christopher is clapping his hands because he needs his dog to come into the studio. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Close. Close. We'll give you an E for effort on it. Actually, it's my coffee <laughs> cup. It's caffeine is what it is. Oh, good one. Good Caffeine one. can be a wonderful inspiration. And are you a diehard of a particular kind of coffee? Are you a coffee aficionado? No. Just as long as it's got cream and sugar in it and a, and a splash of coffee. Nice. I'm good. Nice. Well, and I get to see you, which is always the the disadvantages for our li- listeners, that they don't get to see you. I get to see a lot of artwork in the background. So is this your studio where you are today? It is. It's my, my studio space. Yes, it is. It's very nice space. It's enough for what I'm doing right now. Is it in your home or, or is it in a location outside? The home? It's in my home. It is. Yes. Nice. Nice. Well, what have you been working on today? Um, I've been working on a children's book uh, off and on for the last year, and I'm down to the last three or four illustrations, so I'm hoping to get it finished by the end of next week. Oh, that's exciting. So for our listeners, you are a painter. You do wonderful yes. um, oil paintings, or we can talk about your medium in a minute, and then also illustrations, which seem like the majority of them are for children's books. Is that fair? Yeah, well... I- you know, I, I was an illustrator, a professional illustrator for 25 years, and, and so I did everything. Um, puzzles and book covers and collectibles and e- everything. Covers, editorial, um, portrait work, you know, fine art portrait work. So I did a lot of different stuff, and I I got really burned out painting for everybody else. Yeah. And um, so I thought, I need to find a way to make money so I no longer have to take commissions and then I can just paint whatever I want to paint how I want to paint it when I want to paint it so and that's we're going to get way deep into that sentence that sentence has a lot in there that I want to unpack I want to talk maybe for a minute first about that that process for illustration and for commission work with illustration because I bet some people aren't familiar with it I know it's kind of got its own unique pace. So if, for example, like, let's just use this one that you're working on now. How did that project come to you? You know, I've always, I wouldn't say always, but I've had that little bit of dream like many artists do that I've always wanted to do my own children's books. I've illustrated several of them for other authors but I had never written one or pinned one. And I think that's one point right there. Like, I think sometimes people assume that as the illustrator, you get to have this input to the story. No. Um, And I don't know in your case, but I don't know that to be true. So you can even tell us about that. We rarely, rarely get to work with the author either. You're always working with the art editor through the publisher. So they're just pushing your wrist around really uh, what they want. They say, well, I see this or, paint this green and paint that orange or whatever. So, 
at any rate, I, I did my last children's book I wasn't going to take, but I got to meet the author, and they really gave me a, a tremendous amount of liberty to do my own illustrations. But the book didn't lend to me personally. It wasn't a lot of fun. It was more historical accuracy. So you needed to stay with the story and it wasn't whimsical and it wasn't, it was a wonderful story. Don't get me wrong. It just wasn't very fun. And I wanted, mm-hmm. if it's a children's book for me personally, I want it to be silly and whimsical and and fun. Uh, and so that's where I went with this book. And, and the first couple that I wrote, they were okay. I mean, they were, they were okay. Yeah, the early ones, you kind of get your feet wet and you establish kind of, you know, your stories and kind of work out how the characters are going to gonna go and how they develop and that sort of deal. But with this, with this particular book, um, it was given to the idea, I, I, you know, as with most art, with most original art, and when I say art, I mean, if you're a sculptor or a, a playwright or you know, whatever form of art or medium you're working in, I think the images and the stories find you. I don't think you find them. They find you. And they kind of haunt you until you birth them or get them out. And I was at, uh, we'll get into this too. I, I have a food truck is what I decided to do to make a living while I could paint, you know, eventually hope to get to painting. And I was doing a birthday party and this little two-year-old who was the birthday boy, he came to the window and he was carrying a plastic elephant. And it was really cute. It was a really cute little elephant. And his name was Sawyer. His name is Sawyer. He's, he's like four now. But And I said, hey, Sawyer, I, lo- I love your little elephant. What's your elephant's name? And he, he still didn't speak real clearly. And he said, gibberish, gibberish, trunk. And I went, oh, my God. That's the greatest name for an elephant I've ever heard in my life, trunk. And his mom said, well, he said he has a trunk. I said, no, 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 we're done for the day. I've got an idea here. We're finished. You guys done done with what you want? Because I'm, you know, it's like an epiphany right then. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, I got to go. So I started thinking trunk, trunk. What does trunk do? What does he look like? You know, you start developing these and, um, about a month later, I, I, it was really cold, and I was in the truck, and I didn't have very many customers. And, and the the first few paragraphs and pages started coming to me, and I started writing them out, and they just they just wrote themselves out. And I wrote out about half the book just sitting there, and um, kind of developed it. It it took about another year to cook, if you will, and come together. And I finally finished the draft and had some people help me, Katie. Help me with the character to kind of strengthen the character a little bit. And uh, she's a very gifted writer, you know, as well. And this is Katie McCall, one of our, our Katie McCall, absolutely. Yes, yeah. she, uh, so I ran it past Katie and she said, I, I think this has got legs. I like the character, blah, blah. Big legs, right? Like big sturdy legs, big elephant legs. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Well, the trunk's very little. Oh. So he's an elephant that doesn't oh, grow. Oh, darn. Poor yeah, guy. Yeah, and... Um, I can show you. I'll grab some here in a moment. I'll show you. Drunk. He's on the drawing board right now. Um, so he doesn't grow. And his mom encourages him that you have to try your best. No matter what you do, you, you have to try your best. 
And so Trunk, uh, he's a willing soul, and he gets himself in a little bit over his head. And uh, that's the story. Mayhem ensues. Oh, my goodness. I, yes, mayhem ensues, exactly. <laughs> I can't wait to meet Trunk. And I'm yeah. actually, I want to, we'll come back and talk some more, because I know you have some beautiful work that's at the state capitol in Oklahoma, a- along with other things that are not um, children's books. But since we, it was right. this nice segue, yeah. let's talk about when we're young. So when you were young, um, you were growing up in Oklahoma. Where in Oklahoma? Mm -hmm. I grew up uh, kind of in rural Oklahoma, a little town called Kingfisher, which has about a population of about 5,000. And it it really is like a Mayberry. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I do my school visits, I tell the kids that if you guys have ever seen the movie Sandlot, that, that was my upbringing. That was it. I mean, we didn't have enough guys to have a whole team and there was a dog on the other side of the fence and I had a crush on the lifeguard. I'm, I'm just telling you, they couldn't have scripted it any better for me. So it was wonderful. It was a wonderful, wonderful childhood growing up. I'm only child. So I was left uh, alone a lot to do a lot of my own imagination and creative things, you know, myself. And so, so how did, I guess that answers the question in some ways, how did art become a part of your life, but it started filling in the spaces? You know, it, it really did. I, I always drew as a kid. Uh, I never, ever conceived it as a career. Never. Well, I don't know about you, but I didn't know anyone who was an artist. I didn't know that that was an option to box. I didn't check. either. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, you know, I used to copy comic books and, and, and cartoons out of the Sunday paper and just because it was fun. I mean, I just loved to do it. And then when I got in college, uh, I was pursuing more sports and things like that. And I thought, you know, at five foot six, 140 pounds, I'm pretty limited with where I can go uh, athletically. And so I thought, what am I going to do? And I kind of got into music. I was playing music at the time a little bit. And one thing led to another. And that's how I ended up in Minneapolis from Norman, Oklahoma to Minneapolis was music. So what kind of music were, what kind of, were you in a group? We just played top 40 stuff. I played top 40 stuff with different bands. So everything from, you know, the Beatles to Whitney Houston to the current stuff. And I quit playing in the 90s. So it's been a while since I played. What did you play? What was your role in the band? I played drums and sang. Interesting. Do you want to sing anything for us today? Uh, no, none today. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, we'll get you back on. We'll give you a little advance okay. notice on okay. that. <laughs> yeah. And so you, so you ended up in Minneapolis, and I did. What, what was, what was the draw there? How did you get? That's a, that's a cold ways from Oklahoma. Um, the, the, the band I was working with at the time in Norman. Uh, it was just hard to find places to work. And at that time, Purple Rain had just come out. First Avenue. Yeah, we, we knew that Minneapolis was a real hotbed for music at that time. And we sent we sent promo out to, to Austin and to Minneapolis and New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles and e- everywhere to try to find work. And we got this response from Minneapolis from this agent. He said, uh, I like what you guys are doing. Come on up. I've got rehearsal space and um, I'll put you to work. So I had $300 in my pocket and uh, a Datsun pickup at the time and threw my drums in there <laughs> and a few other guys. And we went to Minneapolis and we're just too naive to know anything better. You know, what was the name of the band? 
the name of the band at, at that time was called Mr. Roberts. And uh, I, I think that's what we, we kept with Mr. Roberts for a while. And then uh, that band dissolved and I joined some other bands in the Minneapolis area. So, Well, so during this time, um, now you're in Minneapolis, you're trying to make trying to make it as a musician. Is there any artwork happening in your life at that point? That all came about when uh, I, the band I was working with, we were in Mitchell, South Dakota, and it was one of those South Dakota winters where it's 25, 30 degrees below zero. And I had gotten really sick, and I, I, I didn't know why I was so sick. I, I was getting a lot of abdominal pain. and Anyway, so I went to the emergency room after we got done playing, and uh, I had a bad kidney infection, come to find out. So the doctor said, you have to go back home right now. I don't want you doing anything for six weeks. Mm. And I thought, uh-oh, this, this is not good. This is my only form of income, and I, now I can't work. So so went home to my apartment, and uh, I saw on the paper they were having a wildlife art show. So we're going back to probably the m- mid to late 80s here is when this is. And so I went down to, to where they were having this art show against my doctor's directions because <laughs> uh, I've always liked art. And so I went down there to look at him and I thought, you know, I need to start drawing again. I need to learn to draw better uh, for one, but I, I, I need to take some lessons. And so I asked a couple of the artists there if they gave lessons. And um, the one that I, his work I really liked, he, he directed me to one of the to an atelier. And I said, I don't even know what an atelier is. And he said, well, it's, it's a school where they teach nothing but tradition of, of old world for the old masters. It's usually a four year program. And I thought, well, where are one of these ateliers, you know? And he said, well, there's one in Boston. I thought, I just moved to Minneapolis. I don't have a job. Uh, and he said, and there's one up on Lake and Hennepin, which was very close to my house about an hour, not an hour, about a mile from my house. So I took the bus up there and I looked at what the students were doing and I was completely flabbergasted uh, at how wonderful these guys could technically execute, you know, the human figure and still lifes and landscapes and things. And I thought, oh boy, this is crazy. And about that same time, uh, somebody had told me about the Minneapolis Institute of Arts and I had never been to a museum before, really, uh, other than some Western paintings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went up there, and when I went in there, it, it really was, it was a spiritual experience. And, and I thought, this, this is it. This, this, is, this is it. This is why God brought me to Minneapolis. It wasn't to play music. It was to pursue art. So I spent the next two years working in a band uh, at night and then working during the day uh, at an advertising agency, saving up money so I could get my tuition for art school. And then I got into art school and continued to play in a band at night to make money. Uh, and I got no sleep for six years. None. I was about to say, I'm not hearing a place for sleep in any of this. Any of those, even one of those could fill up a whole um, sleepless endeavor by itself. <laughs> yeah, a great experiences, though. It was it was a lot of fun. And, and I, I just absolutely adored school just loved it loved it loved it and once that was done though you think that now what you know now what well let's talk a little bit because i would assume um the atelier experience 
was very different than, were you going to University of Oklahoma in Norman? Is that where you went to? Uh, no. Uh, yes. I was going to University of Oklahoma when I went, when I moved to Minneapolis. Yeah. So, so a large public school university versus now an atelier, like how big was your class? Of 25 people. Yeah. It's different. And what would you do all day long? So what 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 does a day look like? Yeah, um, well, in the mornings, uh, just for me personally, and, and every student had a little bit of a different schedule, but they were all the same, just rearranged so we could accommodate everybody. I would go in in the mornings and work on the first two years you work in black and white, uh, nothing but black and white. The first year, just so you could see values, learn to see values. And um, you work with charcoal uh, and cast, plaster casts. And so I spent the whole first year working on a cast, you know, a cast study. We call them cast studies. And then the next year I got to paint it in black and white. And then the third year you're supposed to move to color to where you you paint simple objects, uh, an apple or, you know, some pears or whatever. And then in the afternoons you paint, you draw from life. You draw from, from a figure. And we would draw from to study anatomy and we would draw from a figure and then we progressed from that to do charcoal, black and white, and then before we could go to color. And then we do a portrait. Our fourth year, we we do a portrait. So it's very academic. It's very academic and very rigorous. And I think it's interesting that someone at a young age would be drawn to it because it's uh, not particularly fast paced in the sense no. of, you know, when you're in your 20s and, and you're in a band you're, and things are happening. And oh, this yeah. is a very different pace of things. And did that, um, was that hard to make that transition or just did it feel right? That's a, that's a great question. I, it, it felt, it felt right. Um, of course, you know, drawing up when you're a kid, when you're drawing Scooby-Doo, you know, you can have Scooby drawn in a couple hours right. uh, and you're working on a cast study for three, four months. So it's, it's very different. Um, it really taught, taught me a lot of discipline and patience and um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, and I probably spent more time in black and white than some of the other students because I just, I really felt like values were very, very important for what I was wanting to do. So, Well, I think it's for anything that you do and whether that's drawing, painting, sculpture, whatever, when you, you yes. get to a certain point in your career and you start to realize like, I need to go back to that value thing because it's really, it all comes down to that. It, <laughs> and you it realize it's, it, it is sort of the single thing that if you don't have it right, it just doesn't work. It, it does. I don't care if you're painting everything in purple, if the values are right, it's going to look yeah. okay, yeah. you know? So yeah. anyway. Well, so when you finished there, what was your plan? Where, where were you going to go next with that? I didn't have a plan and I had gotten burned out from playing music too. Cause you know. That not sleeping thing catches up with you. For so long. Yeah. The sleeping <laughs> thing. My, my dad, God bless him, had sent me an article from an artist in Norman who had just done some work for the Lion King. So this is 1991 or 92 right in there. And, um, his name is Mike Wimmer. Mike was a very gifted illustrator, and he was doing stuff for The Lion King and uh, and a bunch of other major ad campaigns. And so I sent him a couple pieces of my work and said, do you take apprentices? Because I don't know anything about the illustration business. I know nothing. I can draw, I can draw you know, I can draw a person sitting here, so what? Who's going to pay me to do that? Yeah. Mike responded and said, send me some of your student work and We'll go from there. And so I did. And he said, yeah, this looks great. Come on down. I'll, you know, you can be my apprentice. You'll learn the business and you can help me work on these projects. And 
you can learn the business and then go out on your own. And so that's what I did. I, I moved back to Oklahoma. I had just gotten married and I worked with Mike for about three months. I worked with Mike in the afternoon and I designed t-shirts in the mornings for another guy just to make some money. Her dad got had a heart attack, so we had moved back to Minneapolis because he had no care. She was an only child, and so we had to take care of him. So moved back to Minneapolis, and I started getting any freelance work I could take. And uh, so one thing led to another, and uh, I started freelancing. And what a, a gift! You know, I think the idea of apprenticeship gets a little lost these days, and it's. Um... You know, some people might call it an internship now, but the ability to work with someone who is already a professional in their field oh, yeah. and to see what does it really look like from 8 a.m. until 7 p.m. or perhaps longer than that. You know, it that's the part that even in most art schools or any profession, honestly, you don't learn that. You don't see it. And A, there may be a huge disconnect because maybe you don't really want that lifestyle yeah. or B, you know, it's it's just a different set of skills that it is. It, they're totally can be learned, but you have to learn them from somebody or somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> you can't just make them up. And uh, Mike was, it was funny because Mike was always wanting to be classically trained, and he was trained by another illustrator who was not classically trained. And Mike just knew how to get from point A to point Z and get the painting out the door. And um, so we were really kind of a complement to each other. We could kind of help each other. Uh, in, in that process. But Mike really uh, helped me. He really showed me how to make a picture, you know, how to make a picture, how to create mood. How would, how would you do that? Like, what did you learn from him about how do you create mood in a picture? I learned everything from Mike. I mean, you know, we would sit there, for example, we would, we would get a, jo- a job in. And um, w- when I worked with Mike, we did uh, Mr. Clean. We did the Brawny Man. We did American Girl stuff. I mean, I mean, Camel. We did a lot of Camel stuff. And um, I would sit there, and Mike would get the job ticket on, and 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 he would bring in. He'd say, "Okay, we're going to have to bring." Just for the sake of argument, say it. It was a thing for Jelly. Who was a? I can't. I I forget the Jelly people. But anyways, we needed a little girl sitting at a table. Uh, with a doll uh, eating some jelly. So we have to find a model and then we have to find props. What's she going to be wearing? How are we going to light this? Is it indoors? Is it outdoors? We have to decide all this stuff in a matter of hours uh, because the deadline might be, they might need the painting by next Monday. You know, so it's, I'm not doing three months on a cast study anymore. We, we've got to get, you know, we got to cover up all the numbers on the canvas and, and get it out and get it out of here. So would you actually create little vignettes of, of what this scene would look like? Well, so we would thump, we would sketch out these thumbnails of the composition of what it was going to be like. And, and we would decide, and Mike and I had determined that used to, we would send our clients two or three different compositions and inevitably they would always pick the worst one. So we would only send them one. I got to learn where I'd only send them one, uh, which I'd like the best and what I thought was the best. And they would, you know, okay, well, we'll go with it because we're already too close to the deadline. So once right. you give them a bunch of options, they'll sit there and piddle for two or three days. Well, that falls right. on me, you know, on the, on the illustrator to make, make that time up. So anyway, um, we would work out the composition and when we get the okay from them, uh, then it was time to find props and models uh, for what, what it was going to require, whether we needed a dog or a hat or whatever. 
And we would bring them into the studio and photograph them, set up the lighting how we wanted it and photograph them. And then we'd take all these different photographs and uh, Mike would say it's kind of like working like Dr. Frankenstein. We would take a hand from one picture and a head from another and, and an arm from another and draw them all together to, to meet this composition. Then we'd send the drawing to the art editor and they would approve it. And then, and then we would start the painting process. And oftentimes we would, I mean, four, five, six days, that was pretty standard to get a, to, to get a painting out the door. So it was crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And were you, what medium were you using? Was it a uh, gouache? Or? We were working in oil. Oil. Oh, my yeah, oil. Wow. So you've got drying time to, to deal with in all of that. Yeah. And, and so at night, at nighttime, we had these floodlights that we would put on the canvas or the board, whatever we were working on to get it to dry so we could get on top of it in the morning. And uh, we would use a, a quick drying medium to help dry yeah. it faster so we could get on top of it. And we would work much like a Photoshop person would work. We would work in layers, you know, two or three different layers. And sometimes you would cut, cut corners and Mike showed me how to cut corners, you know, and, and at school I would have worked on one section for four or five days. Well, pfft, there's no time for yeah. that. So he just showed me how to cut corners and get the same results, basically. And what, you know, you made such an interesting comment early on about the difference of approaching like a classical painting versus the illustration work like that he was doing. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like the biggest differences were? Like, what, what, what did you teach him, I guess? Well, I, I think the biggest difference is, is just the, the constant fight of deadlines. And you, you cannot spend, um, you, you only have so much time. So you can't model and model and model and pick at it and pick at it and pick at it. You, just, you can't. You've just got to paint it as quickly, quickly and accurately as you possibly can. And you, get, and you get better at it, obviously, as you do it. And Mike just always called it paid practice mm -hmm. is what it was. It's paid practice. And there were many times when we get jobs and Mike would say, all right, we have to think like N.C. Wyeth or we have to think like Maxfield Parish or we have to think like Remington with this cream of wheat stuff, you know, uh, and, and incorporate their style. Because oftentimes the art editor would want a certain look and a certain style and we'd have to emulate that. Right. So what was the first um, children's book or illustration work, I guess, I don't want to limit it to books, that you did on your own, just freelance, it was just you, you've got a meet the client's demands. Yeah. Um, the first book I illustrated was called The Room in My Heart. And it was about an expectant mom who already had like about a four-year-old, three or four-year-old. And she was trying to explain to the child that there are many rooms in her heart and that this baby was never going to take the place of her. And it was a very tender and sensitive, sensitive book. And it wasn't very descriptive, mm -hmm. so I had to <laughs> do a lot of prayer. Uh, <laughs> so it was a challenge. It was a challenge. But again, it, was, it wasn't very fun. It just wasn't a fun book. It was a charming book, but it just wasn't fun. I wanted silly, mm -hmm. you know. I wanted silly mm -hmm. stuff, you know, kangaroos and frisbees and things like that. But that's what I got. So I took it. One of the other books that you um, illustrated is a story about 
World War II. Yes. I'm guessing that wasn't fun, silly. No, that wasn't <laughs> fun either. That was hard. And I know in 2017, yeah. you illustrated a book that won the Oklahoma Book Award for children's books, but that was about the dust storm. Was that fun? Dust storm, not fun. Yeah, <laughs> What's not fun. going on here? Where, where are the fun books? It, it, it was fun in regard that it took place in the 30s. So I've always liked the architecture and the transportation and things like that of the 30s. Uh, so that was kind of fun, you know, because the props, everything I had to gather was from that era. And that is part of it, isn't it? Like when we do work that's commission or it's um, paid work for a client like this, that we we have to learn to find mm-hmm. our fun sometimes in the work that we do. Yes, absolutely. Um, that is part, I think, as evolving as um, a creative is you learn to find your fun sometimes. It, exactly. And, and it beats sitting at a desk and delivering pizza. So, you know, and, and as Mike would say, it, it's it's paid practice. Yeah. So you're, you're really getting better. Every time you paint, you get better. Yeah. You know. Well, is there a project that has been particularly fun that you really enjoyed? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I've done a couple originals that, that I really love to do. I had, a, I had a really good friend of mine that was, he was at Omaha Beach on D-Day. And, and he went in. And I didn't know this till I had known him about 10 years. Um. And I just fell in love with this man. He was a wonderful man. He lived across the street from me. And when I was doing D-Day, the book on World War II, uh, I got to meet a lot of these guys, these old veteran guys. And they're all gone now, sadly. But that was fun in that regard, was talking to them and getting their stories and uh, hearing what really matters uh, and hearing their heart. So that was that was fun. And get, gathering the props for it, too. You know, some of the old uh, actual authentic pieces that mm-hmm. the guys mm-hmm. when they went ashore what they were wearing and what kind of boats and what kind of planes and that sort of thing so it's kind of cool well you have a real sensitivity to those details it shows up in your work well, thanks and you can tell that you spend a lot of time thinking about that for example say with norman rockwell's work and the attention to detail in those mm-hmm. those pieces of artwork which you know maybe this is a conversation to we often refer to them as illustrations but they, they were beautiful paintings. They were, yeah. They were just beautiful pieces of work with all layers of detail and whimsy and humor. So much was always going on in those. And I see I see that in your work as well. Well, thank you. I was going to say, I'm still trying to really trying to find my voice uh, mm-hmm. as an artist. I, I I don't feel like, you know, when, you, when you're an illustrator and, and they're saying paint like this guy and paint like that, that gal and this and that, it, you have a hard time finding your st- style. Yeah. I feel like now I'm just finally starting to maybe find my voice. Uh, Trunk is very different than anything I've ever done. Very different. But I'm having a blast doing it and it's going to allow me to segue back to some of the original stuff that I want to paint and I I can think differently how I want to paint it now. So yeah. Gosh, here I am at the end of my, I feel like I'm at the end of my career and I'm just figuring some things out. No, I mean, isn't that what a lifelong journey as an artist is, yeah. is, is always yeah. reevaluating, learning something new about yourself, i.e. your style and it evolves. And right. so you have to kind of yeah. be good with that, that it's always going to keep doing that. And I think it's such an interesting dichotomy that we have sort of built in our, in our society of commercial art versus um, fine art and, and making different buckets mm-hmm. for those as if they were somehow separate things. You know, I think 
typically the way I, if I'm going to draw a line of demarcation, it's that for commercial art, it's usually paid for by a client that has some purpose for it. So that might be marketing or selling, or it could be, you know, just helping give an idea legs in a different visual format. Whereas fine art is typically that messaging or ideas coming solely or from the artist or a group of artists. But, you know, I was, I was thinking about that because there is a little bit of a stigma sometimes but to commercial art like oh you've sold out it's too bad uh, yes. yeah and as i say i've yeah. never been able to get my arms around that and i w- just almost choked when i was looking somewhere online and i saw one person had defined it as fine art was um inherent born skills talent no it was talent whereas commercial art was learned skills and it was like okay that's the biggest bunch of crock I've ever heard of no, and if you yeah, it's not true and if you think back like I think you are such an excellent example like you trained you studied I mean hours and hours mm-hmm. and hours in a very classic traditional fine art capacity the work you're currently doing would probably fall more into the commercial art bucket just because of who's oh, yeah. paying for it and yet it's the same work in either place and mm-hmm. and you know and if you look back at to who was inspiring say the atelier the artist of the neoclassical style they were, i would argue they were illustrating scenes that people cared about in that time you know so whether they were religious or revolutionary they were illustrating Absolutely. and so why was that so much different <laughs> you know it, it wasn't different i mean it, you look at rembrandt's work rembrandt was just an illustrator right he just told stories. Right. That's all he did. And they didn't have the ability to put things in magazines back then. They just painted what was around them or what they were commissioned to paint. And Vermeer, who's one of my very favorite painters, you look at all of his little, you know, he only had a handful of paintings, but they're just scenes of people doing genre things. And they're just gorgeous. Right. Uh, they're just beautiful. And, any of those people, if they've ever walked in front of a Wyeth or uh, a Sargent or a Rockwell, oh, my stars, they're just, they're unbelievably beautiful. They're just hauntingly beautiful, yeah. these paintings. And um, I was at the Crystal Bridges Museum in Bentonville, Arkansas, Isn't for your listeners out fabulous? there. fabulous? Oh, my gosh. I love that museum. Unbelievable. I would it's have never dreamed that with exist in Arkansas. I'm sorry. I just, no. I have relatives there. I get to say that, but um, it is one of the best art museums, period. I can just put it's, period It's there. one of the hit, best hidden secrets in the United States. Absolutely. Uh, it really is. I, I was doing a school visit in Rogers, Arkansas, which is right south of Bentonville, about 20 miles. And the art teacher came in to me and she said, have you been to Crystal Bridges Museum? And I said, I haven't even heard of it. And she said, well, Sam Walton's daughter is an art collector, and she started this museum. And I was, in my brain, in my little feeble brain, I was thinking, okay, Walmart daughter, so she's got some Garfield drawings and some precious moments, okay? <laughs> so anyways, the next day, she brings me a brochure. And I'm, and on the cover of it is, I said, that's, that's Norman Rockwell. And she said, yeah, that's there. I said, that's Winslow Homer. She said, yeah, that's there. I said, that's, that's a sergeant. She said, yeah, that's there. I said, you're kidding me. She said, no. So after my visit that day, I, I couldn't get out of there fast enough and went up there. And yeah. uh, the first painting you see, as you know, is Gilbert Stewart's George Washington. 
that's yeah. in the Smithsonian and in the White House. And you're just going, this is not supposed to be in Arkansas. And, uh, and beautiful sculptures outside. Like it's yes. so, the whole space is so intertwined with the physical outdoor environment. It just, just gets me. me so excited. I just, <laughs> yeah. I know. I, know. It's, I try to tell other artists that say, put it on the top of your bucket list. I'm just telling you, you have to go. You just have to go and it's free. Last March when things were shutting down everywhere mm-hmm. and I had gone to get my daughter up in Minnesota and we were driving back. And so I had thought we would be able to stop in Bentonville and go to the museum. But of course it was closed. Everything was closed. The whole world was a ghost town. Mm-hmm. And I did, I felt like a little girl. I literally was pressing my face up against the doors at, you know, at the yeah. museum calling like, I want to go in there. Let me in yeah. there. <laughs> and so I've made it back since because I said, I am coming back. I was so excited and it was just so uplifting, frankly. So yeah, big shout out to Crystal Bridges. Yeah. So you, you can take any artist and they can stand in front of Rosie the Riveter and they, they can tell me that that's not fine yeah. art. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I'm looking at this going, this was a magazine cover. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. And he painted it probably a week or yeah. less. Well, you've also done yeah. quite a few portraits. Speaking of portraits, I know that you have several um paintings in the Oklahoma yes. Capitol. How did those projects come about? Um, I, well, again, I was, it's through Mike. I was at Mike's studio and um, the gentleman who was the head of the preservation committee, they had commissioned Mike to do some portrait work. And um, he was in there and, and he says, I need to, I need another artist. Cause I got all these paintings, you know, we want to do. And I said, well, I could do one of them, you know, or whatever. So that's how that started. I was just in the right place at the right time. And, uh, that that's been a real blessing. That that's been a real blessing. So, yeah. Because how many pieces do you have there now? I have about seven or eight paintings in there now. I guess so. Um, What's the largest? Do you have any really big? Somewhere in there, yeah. Uh, the largest one was um, like six feet by ten feet, maybe. Wow. It was a big painting of a big fort thing, and it was really hard because it was really long, long and horizontal, and. Yeah, I would think the perspective trying to paint something. Like yes, that and they wanted really a fort this inside of a fort, and to keep all the perspectives right, and they wanted all these different soldiers and formal, and uh, it was anyway. <laughs> so, if you were going to this afternoon sit down and paint, and you could paint anything you wanted to with any color palette you wanted to, mm. and and let's say we know it's going to sell, and so you don't even have to worry about oh boy, somebody buying it. What what would you do? What would you create? Um, I've got. I've got a bunch of seasonal stuff I want to paint uh, that and some I've already taken the pictures and got the models and they're ready to go. I just uh, trunk got in the way. So he's soon as hey, keep tr- him out of this. He's yeah. doing his best soon over tr- there. Do not blame done. trunk. Yeah, as soon as trunk's done, I'm hoping to start on, on a couple of the original paintings, uh, some seasonal stuff that I have never seen before. You would think everything seasonal has been painted, but these particular paintings, I, I've never seen one. So uh, I'm, Excited to paint them, you know. What color palette will you be in? Um, Let me see it. You know, I'm, I'm a, my palette's very uh, limited. I, I learned with just six colors on, on our, on our um, palette. And it, it, it's funny, and I would just mix out of those. And Mike, Mike would lay out <laughs> these 25 colors because he learned with this, color system if you will that's how he learned and he would lay out his palette and i just say, oh my god which one are you going to take first you know uh but my palette's very limited yeah. so it's 
you know, I, I use a blue, I use a red, I use um, an ochre and a white, and I just and and a and a yellow, and I just kind of I mix from there, go from there. So very limited palette. Well, I'm very excited to see when these come available. So I'm hoping you will. We'll check back with you in a yeah, few check months. Back we with won't me, expect yeah. you to get busy, but we're quit blaming Trunk for this. But yeah. back to Trunk and his origins. I think you told us when the idea came to you, you were in your food truck. I was and in my food so truck. We have yes. teased people long enough. We have got to let them know about Kirby. Ah, the food truck. Um, I I had this idea for about fifteen years. Seriously, to sell these mini donuts and why donuts i had them when i lived in in, in minnesota I, they had them at the state fair up there and they're like crack <laughs> you know you just you you have two or three of them and then you just empty your pockets and just say <laughs> however many donuts i can buy with that money just bring them here and um so when i moved down here moved back to oklahoma to work with mike i, I went to the state fair and i thought i'll get some mini donuts you know and I couldn't find any. No. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Maybe I just couldn't find them. So the next year I went and same thing. I couldn't find them. So I started, you know, re- this is before the internet. So this is um, mid nineties, right as the internet was starting to come about. So I started doing a little research and nobody in Oklahoma city sold, them, uh, which was weird. I, I don't know. So when I started getting serious about this idea, when I got burned out from illustration, I started talking to some food guys around here to start getting some research, real research done on pulling this off. And I asked one of the guys that's, he's very established around here. And he said, I, I said, why is there no mini donuts? And he said, Chris, that's the $64,000 question. He says, I, I don't know. He said, it's an outstanding product. And, uh, he said, I've been buying, wanting to buy a machine for years. And I'm just spread so thin with my other stuff. I just haven't done it. And he said, how are you going to market it? And I said, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know yet. I'm just, I'm trying to get numbers together. I'm trying to get my demographic together, blah, blah. So I thought, well, I'll get a little camper, a little retro camper or a kiosk or I didn't know. And I was going on a school visit one morning in March and it was snowing like crazy here in Oklahoma, which was weird. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this little delivery van old delivery van and and i love old cars anyway i love old cars and and i didn't know what it was and i thought that's the coolest looking delivery van i've ever seen in my life that is so cool and as i kept driving i just really sensed my spirit in my spirit good lord just said there's your donut truck and i thought you know i i didn't think of a truck a truck never crossed my mind. It didn't. And from that moment on, I started researching that truck and what it was. That specific one? The specific one. Yeah, that specific one. So I looked for two years. And what kind is it? It's an international metro. And it's called a shorty model. It's it's very small. It's only 14 feet long. So if you have a little mid-sized car, that's about how long your mid-sized car is. It's very that's small. you have to make... You have to make the mini donuts because the big donuts wouldn't fit in there. Yeah, I had to make the minis. Yeah, I could make <laughs> big donuts, but they wouldn't go as fast. But uh, so I found a truck, and one thing led to another. And where was the truck? It was in Los Angeles, and it had been restored. I was uh, here's another there's another story if you want to hear that one. How I got the truck? I was in 
Texas, in Louisville, Texas, on a school visit. And the, the guy that was going to build my truck, you know, these, these old trucks have to be restored. Uh, you can hardly never find one restored. And uh, he called me. And he said, I think I found your truck. And I said, okay. And, and anyway, long story short, it was in, this one was in Oregon and I didn't like it. I just didn't like the way it looked. And it already had a kitchen in it and I'd had to redo the kitchen and this and that. And so I said, his name was Mark. I said, Mark, it, it, I said, I saw one on eBay about a month ago. I said, it was exactly what I wanted, but it was already restored. And just quickly, my, my mechanic had been battling cancer for a couple of years and he was completely out of money. And so I was wanted him to rebuild the truck, not only for him to build it, but he needed the money. So when he yeah. called me, I, I said, Mark, I thought you were going to build my truck. He said, Chris, I, you know, let's just, you buy one. It'd be easier for you. Uh, it'd save you a lot of time. And, and he goes, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Anyway. So I told him about this truck and he said, well, I'll call and see if he still got it. So I said, Mark, I can't find it. I don't know. Well, he's got all these car search engines. He's in that loop. And he calls me back in, a, in a, like 30 minutes and said, that truck's in Los Angeles. This is a Thursday night. He said, that truck's in Los Angeles. It's going to an auction on Saturday. And he, he said, if you can get it for this amount of money, you better buy it right now, sight unseen, uh, or, or else it's going to go away because it's exactly what you want. And so I called the guy and I said, I want that truck. And I bought it sight unseen. I mean, I saw it, but I didn't drive it. I didn't look at it, you know, all that yeah, stuff. So yeah. I bought it right then. So, and then did it get shipped? And then to, we shipped it here. Oklahoma? Yeah. I had to ship it here and, uh, I took delivery on it in December 2nd, 2016. And so where did the name Kirby come from? Kirby came from the Minnesota Twins baseball player, Kirby Puckett. And uh, <laughs> my truck is very short, round, and strong. And that's what Kirby <laughs> was. Kirby was short, round, and strong. Ask anybody from Minnesota. They'll know who Kirby Puckett is. Yeah. I like it. And so did Kirby need work to make um, – is Kirby a – a girl or a boy? Uh, Kirby's a boy. He yes, he did. Okay. He needed. He was he was completely restored, uh, but he was just an empty little delivery. He didn't van. have his donut machine. Yeah, he had delivered newspapers his whole career uh, from 1956 to about 1970, and the newspaper went out of business. And so Kirby and two of his friends sat outside the warehouse until about 2004. Just sit outside. And a plumber bought the bought the warehouse and the, and the contents. And the plumber was working at this guy's house that needed plumbing work. Um, and they got to talking about old cars and said, I have an old Metro, blah, blah. So this guy went, went and he said, I'll sell you one of them. And so this guy went and picked it out. He brought it home, and he's the one that restored it. And it took him four years to restore it. Well, how did you how did you learn to make donuts? Like, I don't know how to make donuts. I went up to Minnesota and, and spent time at the factory that makes the machines, and uh, I spent a day up there uh, working on them. And then when I bought the machine, uh, I spent about a week in my studio messing with recipes and trying to learn how to make them. And and um, 
Making them for people and making them for yourself is two different things. Yeah, <laughs> well, different things. I have to say, every time you say or I think of making donuts, all I can picture is that children's book, Homer Price, that was by Robert yes. McLusky, and the kid gets overwhelmed with the donut machine, sort of like a Lucy yes. and Ethel and the chocolate. So that is what I'm picturing every time <laughs> that you say it. this. That they're yeah. just donuts spewing everywhere. But um, Everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. Sometimes you... Yeah, sometimes you're always problem solving, but it's a good fit for me. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm an, I'm an only child, and so I'm really used to being by myself. And so in the mornings when it's I'm by myself, and it's just it's a good fit for me. It really is. So I, I love it. I enjoy doing it. How I'm, many days? I'm just doing it two, three days a week now, uh, so I can paint the rest of the time. So it's good. Well, and so on a on a donut day, what might what time does the donut day start? Uh, uh, my alarms goes off at three 30 and, uh, I'm usually on site by six, usually no later than six, no later than, and then I'm usually serving by seven. I used to serve at six 30, but it wasn't worth it. So now I'm usually serving it at, at seven and I serve till 10 30 and then I clean the truck up and take it back. And I'm usually back home by about 1230. Nice. And do you switch locations? Are you moving around? Yeah, I have a route now. It took me a long time to kind of establish my route, you know, and, and like I said, the, the goal when I started this truck was to eventually work when I needed to and have the rest of the time to pursue my original art. And it's taken about four years now. But that's exactly what's happening now. And I'm, I'm living a very full life right now because it's wonderful. So I can paint and I can do my donuts and, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's great. Sometimes when we, when we take on these other endeavors, they give us things we don't even realize that we kind of wanted yeah. in our life. You know, maybe it's a little structure. Maybe it's the continuity. Maybe it's the little kid who says trunk. You know, you just don't yeah. know what these other experiences are going to bring no, you. No, you don't that, know. That then feed the creative part. Like, it. They, they can be such symbiotic relationships, I think. Um, exactly. That's that's a great way of putting it. And uh, I've gotten to the point now where the, the business has gotten popular enough to where I need somebody in the truck with me to help me. And a, a dear friend of mine that I shared studio space with in school in Minneapolis, he moved to Oklahoma about 10 years ago. Uh, it might even be longer than that now. I can't remember. But uh, he helps me. And so he only needs to do it part time, which is perfect. So when I have a, a job, and he helps me, and we have more. We work wonderfully together, and we laugh, we laugh a lot. And uh, it's a it's a good gig. It is. It's a good gig, and every day is payday. That's even better. So did yeah. you design the the outside of the truck? It's really I did. Cute. Yeah, I pictures did on, the, the on the website. Thanks. It's really cute. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> It was fun. It was fun. It's been a lot of fun. Kirby gets a lot of uh, smiles. He gets I a lot of smiles. Bet. Well, can yeah. you, um, like, just between friends, give us the inside scoop? Like, what is the best flavor? You know, that's a great question. I, I We get asked that a lot, and I have 10 flavors now. I started with three. Um, that's all we started with, and it's grown now that we have 10. And I would say, and I just introduced a brand new one just couple weeks ago so it hasn't had a chance to really blossom yet but um probably uh probably cinnamon sugar is still probably one of the most favorite but we with sprinkles or without uh, sometimes no kids like to get think. sprinkles and i have 
several different colors of sprinkles. Uh, I do some of the local sports teams uh, for the kids. And then I have for little, the little kids, I have princess sprinkles, which are pink and little fruity stars. I have uh, superhero sprinkles, which are purple and yellow and they're superhero stars. And um, what else do I have for the little kids? Princess is superhero. That's pretty much it for them. That yeah. covers your bases, I think. Well, I okay. have a prediction. I think after Trunk, Trunk Trunk has got to get his yeah. debut and finished and out in the world. I'm seeing Donut Man having his own book. I'm seeing, or Kirby, actually. Probably it's Kirby. That, that was the, you know, that's really sweet of you, Christy, to say, because that was the first book I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote, his book is called The Donut Man. And, uh. I wrote it. I, I, I need to revisit it because I think it might it might have something there. You maybe. know Kirby better now. And maybe maybe that's it. Maybe it was the wrong perspective. If it wasn't truly yeah. from Kirby's perspective, then yes. maybe maybe you need to revisit it again. Just like with painting, you know, sometimes you do. Yeah, you do. You get a fresh eye. You get a fresh ear. The first version. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, you know what? That was the wrong perspective. I need to look yeah. at it from this you angle Kirby a little in there, bit so. more. So. It's good. Everything's really good right now. You know, it's funny you were saying that being being classically trained, and I was thinking about all those cast studies and all that stuff, these portraits and things. Today, I was painting cartoon tree frogs. So there you go. Yeah, I've I've, I've arrived as a great artist yeah. now. Like, <laughs> well, but Just you, tell you my know, buddies. <laughs> isn't that really the truth for all of us? Though we 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 need to learn those those fundamentals before then we can decide how we want to tweak them to be our own. And I believe that, you know, so you have this wonderful foundation. You have to know the rules before you can break them. Absolutely. I believe that 100%. Well, any advice you would give to like a, an aspiring artist or someone who's feeling stuck even right now with with their art world? Yeah, I, I just don't give up. You know, just don't give up. You're going to have you're going to have days to where you think. You know, and I do. I mean, I do. And, and Mike does, who's done work for, you know, major movie studios and everybody else. And he has days where you think this is not any good. Uh, but just try your best, you know, try your best. You're not always going to be at your best, but try your best with everything you do. And and you're going to have these steps, you know, you have these steps and you're going to plateau but you'll take another step. You just have to keep pedaling. You just got to keep pedaling. You do. You do. And uh, as I say on the podcast, keep swimming. That's right. Keep swimming. That's exactly just right. Keep going. Well, this has been so much fun. Well, and I'm you. excited because when I go to Minneapolis this summer and I'll be driving right up I-35, which means I will have to be coming close to where you are. And I'm going to find out by golly, where is Donut Man that morning? And I'm going to find a way to <laughs> oh, go you mean get Oklahoma me City. Yeah, Oklahoma donuts. City. Yes. <laughs> yeah, follow, just do Facebook because I always post where I'm going to okay. be. And uh, we'll make sure we get you some donuts and make your butt swell for the trip up to Minneapolis. <laughs> Gee, so, thanks. Yeah. You're the yeah, best. Yeah. Do what I can. <laughs> No, they're they're, and, they're fat free. They're all fat free. Basically. Oh, good. Oh, good. 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 That's perfect. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> well, and we look forward to meeting Trunk, and hopefully, we he will be out soon. So, okay. Hopefully so. Yeah. Hopefully so. He'll be out there, and um, who knows where he'll go from there. Thank you, Christy. Well, that wraps it up for us today. Thank you for joining me. Check the show notes for updated information about Christopher's upcoming projects, including the release of Trunk and the weekly whereabouts of the Donut Man OKC. 
Thank you for sharing part of your day with me. I am so excited to see how many of you have discovered the new Artist Plunge Instagram account. I have loads more content waiting to be shared. So just search Art-ish Plunge Podcast, all one word, and follow along on Instagram. So until next week, stay kind, stay positive, and keep swimming.